Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Well, Jack Smith calls Donald Trump's bluff. Next stop, the Supreme Court. Tonight on Lara Codes Live. So this is a very big deal. You've got nine justices, three of them appointed by the then President Donald Trump, and they're being asked to decide what comes down to one very simple question. Is a president of the United States above the law? Now, it should be simple. You've heard that phrase how many times? And of course, we say nobody is above the law, correct? It's why the lady justice wears that blindfold. But that's not what Trump's legal team thinks. They've been arguing for a long time along the lines of what you'd call maybe the Nixon doctrine. If the president does it, it's not illegal. You know how that worked out for Richard Nixon, don't we? But how will it work out for Donald Trump? Well, Jack Smith does not want to sit around and wait to find out. He's going straight to the Supreme Court to decide whether Trump is, in fact, protected by the presidential immunity in the election subversion case in Washington, D.C. And tonight, a preliminary win of sorts. We'll explain why for the special counsel. They are saying now they're going to fast track at least the pondering of whether to actually take on the request for information and a ruling. Let's read the tea leaves a little bit tonight because the Supreme Court is about to make a very big decision about what a president can and cannot do, what is presidential behavior, what's covered and all of these things. And of course, what does it mean for Trump's other cases? I want to bring in now CNN legal analyst and former federal prosecutor, Elliot Williams. Also here, Ian Milheiser, a senior correspondent at Vox, focusing on the Supreme Court and the author of many a book as well. I want to begin with you for a second, because you and I have talked a lot Mm -hmm. about the Supreme Court over the years and what's taking place there. This is significant to go from the district court's ruling that says you do not have presidential immunity, Trump. Everything you did is not presidential, so to speak, to saying now the Supreme Court will rule. I mean, look at how a case normally goes through to get to the Supreme Court. This is significant, Ian. Yeah, it is. And I think Jack Smith's being very smart here in trying to make this move as fast as possible. You know, you don't want a situation where, like, on October 20th, the Supreme Court throws out a conviction because of some procedural rule Mm -hmm. that no, no one anticipated. Ordinarily, I advocate for this Supreme Court to do as little as possible. You want narrow decisions. And, and like, that's not just because I don't like the Supreme Court. I mean, they, that's good judging. You don't want judges to overreach. You don't want to But in this case, I think we want the court to give us as much guidance as possible as to how this trial is going to be run. It's an unprecedented case. Right. It's a case where the stakes are enormous. The voters need to know if this man is a convicted felon when it comes time for Mm -hmm. for the election. And so I am hoping that the Supreme Court 
is going to tell the trial judge what she needs to know so that she can conduct the trial. She can then follow the rules that are given to her, and then, you know, we'll see if he's convicted. And that trial is in March. That's part of the issue here, right, Jack Smith? And I know you smirk because you're probably like, that's an ambitious trial day. It's a three months away at this point, really, thinking about it. In March. It's in, it's in March. He's got air quotes today. Air okay, quotes. there you go. Well, tell me, saying it does go through, Say, assuming right. the Supreme Court says, I want to decide this before that March trial date. We'll give that deadline. It's sure. before the Supreme Court term ends. Tell me about the merits of this argument. Sure. I think, well, even if, it, even if it's not all resolved by March, it certainly resolves the whole appeal on a timeline far faster than it would have been. And to Ian's point, um, if you were, and you had that graphic up, if Let's you put were, it back up for sure, people to see, If too. you were to have run through the entire process of appealing to the district court, perhaps the whole uh, um, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals on up to the Supreme Court, that could be months, if not years, uh, tied up in litigation. So what by fast-tracking it, they're moving things along very quickly. Now, on the substance of the arguments, there, you know, the former president has two arguments. One, that he's immune from prosecution by virtue of being a former president or, or because he president. says flesh that out for us because he's saying whatever I did that I'm being accused of was when I was the president yeah. and therefore it was in the outer what was the term the outer limits of my presidential oh, yeah. duties right mm-hmm. um, the and, Nixon, and that's actually an extension of the argument raised in the Nixon case it's part of my duties as president or at least an extension of them and the other one is that based on this concept of double jeopardy mm-hmm. that's in the constitution I can't be tried twice for the same thing because I was impeached and acquitted you can't try me now these are both largely nonsense arguments we were talking about this Ian and I in the green room a little bit they're really not good arguments and this is, gets to the point of is the Supreme Court going to actually take them on, figure out a way, or just figure out a way to resolve this and make it go away in some mm. way. But they're really not, and this is not a criticism of the former president, they're just not strong legal points. Um, and it's just hard to see how you win on either of those uh, either of those arguments. First of all, don't ever discuss anything we talk about here in the green room. I want it all on the <laughs> microphone, number one and two. But this is an actual risk. And we're talking about the arguments as one on the hand, one hand yeah. novel. On the other hand, like this Supreme Court may or may not find in Jack Smith's favor right. and think to themselves, well, yeah, you know what? Trump's got to cop to or be accountable for whatever he did as long as on the out- outer skirts of his presidency. Mm-hmm. The, what do you think about the risk that Jack Smith is taking, particularly with yeah. the second argument? Because that one, I think, has a lot of people leaning in. We know that obviously double jeopardy attaches for a criminal prosecution, but this was a legislative impeachment. Why should it? Yeah, so double jeopardy shouldn't be an issue here at all. And and the reason why is because in order to have uh, have jeopardy attached, Mm -hmm. in in, in order for double jeopardy to even come into play, Mm -hmm. there has to have been criminal consequences Mm -hmm. in the first proceeding. Being fired from your job you know, is not a criminal consequence. Being disqualified from having a job in the future, even if that job is president, is not a criminal consequence. So Jeopardy doesn't attach when he was impeached because that was not a criminal proceeding. The immunity case, the immunity claim is slightly stronger, but I want to be clear, like just slightly Mm -hmm. here. Um, There are cases showing that in some cases, a president can be immune from some civil lawsuits. The main reason for that is because anyone can bring a civil lawsuit against anyone. I could sue you tomorrow. Elliot could sue you tomorrow. You could be sued by 10,000 people tomorrow. Let's not. America. Let's not. Yeah. Thank you. And well, so it's the, a lot of lawyers. We like yeah. to sue each other. We, it's kind of what we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we do. But, but like the idea behind these presidential immunity is, uh, decisions is you don't want the president to be so bombarded with lawsuit, he, lawsuits. He can't do the job of president. 
That just doesn't come up in the criminal context. The only people who can bring a federal criminal prosecution is the Department of Justice. So you just don't have the same and, issue. And, and, and a broader point, just sort of why we impeach as Americans, what the point is, it's not to punish someone who did something wrong. It is to ensure integrity of our systems of government. The point of an impeachment is to remove someone from office mm-hmm. uh, if they have transgressed in office. The criminal process is about sending people to jail on something totally different. Now, as to to push back a little bit on what this Supreme Court might do, it's a conservative court and so on, we're not talking here about abortion or the death penalty or these sort of um, controversial, controversial <laughs> social issues on which you can kind of predict where the members of the court are going to fall out. These are sort of integrity of government points and just... Uh, far more straightforward um, and I think far more emotionally fraught than some of yeah. the things. Right. Well, speaking of in, of the integrity of government, Rudy Giuliani, who obviously <laughs> used to be America's mayor, as yeah. they say, that guy, I, that guy okay. he is in the midst of a defamation damages portion of a trial right. for what he said about two election workers. We want election workers to be there. He is, uh, the, the, the jury section is actually beginning and thinking about all these things. And one of them is they were asked if they've ever used the phrase, let's go Brandon. We all remember what that means, of course, it's used in a lot of right-wing circles to insult Joe Biden and the president of the United States. What does that tell you that that's being used? I mean, look, there, there's a lot of strong rhetoric that obviously gets thrown, mm-hmm. gets, gets thrown around. That's not a thing that, I, I mean, if I'm going to analyze it as a defamation case, like you can insult the president of the United States and that's not defamation because you're not making a factual mm-hmm. claim. I think that Rudy Giuliani has bigger problems. Yeah, well. and, and like, I think, you know, the bigness of what Trump has done, the attempts to overturn the election, the size of the conspiracy. One consequence of this is like, I don't think that this presidential immunity thing is gonna have legs. I think even this Supreme Court is probably gonna turn that away. But this case, like these prosecutions could have many trips to the Supreme Court. And I'm more worried that they find some narrow issue to rule in Trump's Mm. favor in the future than I'm worried that they're gonna have a sweeping declaration that if you're the president of the, of the United States, you can commit crimes with impunity. Well, we'll see when it comes to, it's not bigness, it's huge, huge. Elliot and Ian, thank you both so much. Joining me now to talk about Donald Trump's looming legal issues, and there are many, former Trump attorney and fixer Michael Cohen. He is the host of the Mea Culpa and Political Beatdown podcast. He's also the author of the book, Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice against his critics. Michael, good to see you here tonight. Look, I have to say, first of all, when it comes to Trump, you called it. He did not testify today. You were adamant that he probably would not. Why do you think he ultimately did not? Because he's scared and he's rightfully scared. Everybody's talking about how, you know, potentially the lawyers gave him the right advice, that he finally took the right advice. Knowing Donald for a decade and a half, I can assure you, it had absolutely nothing to do with advice of counsel. Hmm. He knew that this was going to sink him. He knew that he could be brought up on a perjury charge. And so instead, he decided to go with the easy way out and make the claim that he's already testified, he's already given enough, and then look to see what he did. He starts to put out on his social media platforms all the attacks, because again, Mm -hmm. Donald cannot be at fault. He attacks Judge Ngoron. He attacks um, Attorney General Tish James. He attacks me all in one single post. 
you know, when you look at all that combined, you're right, his counsel did allude to the gag order. But, of course, one could avoid offending a gag order in testimony. And he certainly knew weeks ago that he'd already testified. So that can't be the reason. But I'm really curious about this, Michael, because, as you well know, Trump's image as a successful businessman, it was very crucial to his win back in 2016. This serves to maybe be an instance when he would not have that power, would not have that brand anywhere near where it was even in 2016 in the public's eye. How will all of this impact the 2024 campaign? Well, you would think that it would have the same effect, right? They voted for him because he portrayed himself as this great businessman. I'm really rich. I'm much richer than people even know. And they bought the brand of Donald Trump. It is irrefutable that that brand is completely tarnished. But that's not going to stop the loyalists. They're now loyal to the brand, even though the brand is tarnished. So they're not stopping. And I'm talking about the MAGAs that are so entrenched into the cult of Donald Trump that they don't care. They're more about the brand of racism and sexism and misogyny and xenophobia, homophobia, Islamophobia and anti-Semitism than how much money Donald has. Well, we'll see ultimately how that turns out. But let me ask you, I mean, you heard this lead story. You heard about the news tonight about Jack Smith leapfrogging, going right to the Supreme Court, saying, I'm not going to wait for the appellate courts to weigh in on whether Trump has presidential immunity for everything he did while he was in office. He leapfrogged. This is not Trump's motion. It's not Trump's team's filing. It's Jack Smith. Is he outsmarting what is likely to have been Trump's strongest claim here? It doesn't take much to outsmart Trump's legal team. And Jack Smith is a beast. Jack Jack Smith is a beast when it comes to this. He knows exactly what needs to be done. And he's doing it really incredibly well. Um, He's not going to let Trump do what we all know Trump does best. And that's delay, delay, delay. And so he, yes, Yes, you're right, Laura. He beat him to the punch. He beat that whole legal team to the punch. And he's now going to have the Supreme Court weigh in on it for an ultimate decision. I mean, could you imagine that a president is entitled to immunity for life on anything that they do? I mean, it just it goes against the very fabric of our Constitution and American democracy. They're making the president into a king, which, of course, is exactly contrary to the, you know, the Constitution. That's the exact argument of the lower court, the district court, who said, look, basically, just because a president, you are a president, doesn't mean everything you do then becomes presidential, so to speak. But let me ask you about Mar-a-Lago, because we've got some pretty exclusive reporting tonight, Michael, that a former Mar-a-Lago employee, now a witness in the classified documents case, There are a lot of cases that that former employee was contacted by Trump and his associates in the months after he quit his job and offered, of course, legal representation to this person. He got complimentary tickets to a golf tournament offered, repeated reminders he could come on back to work for Trump. What do you see when you hear about these interactions and these come on back moments? Well, Donald needs to understand, and so does his team, that Mar-a-Lago is a cesspool for leakers and people who don't want to get caught up in Donald Trump's problems. And so there's as many people as that are there are as many people who are potential witnesses for Jack Smith 
and other investigations. And I'm, I'm shocked. Uh, first of all, <laughs> when he offers them free tickets to a golf tournament, you realize that those tickets cost Donald Trump less than if he got him a burger at Mar-a-Lago. It wow. costs him absolutely nothing. They're generally at his golf course with Live Golf. Right? It costs him absolutely nothing to have the guy go there. I mean, there's thousands of people that show up for these tournaments. What's the difference if two, four, six, eight people additional show up? There's no cost within which to get on. So he's offering the guy nothing. Absolutely well, nothing. How about the lawyers, though? How about lawyers, Michael. How about offering him lawyers? Good. So I'm glad you brought that up because that was next on my list. Remember when Bob Costello reached out to me and what they tried to do is they will load you up with a lawyer for the sole purpose not to protect you, but to protect the king, to protect Donald. They are passing along all the information. And let's also not forget, this happened with Paul Manafort with his lawyers, when his lawyers were passing to Donald's lawyers all the information that they were supposed to provide to committee, to the congressional committee in the interrogatories. They are not doing anything to benefit anyone other than Donald. And this man was smart. I don't know who it is, but this man was smart to walk away. He's already seen the damage that Donald Trump brings to people's lives, like mine, like other people. He was smart to walk away. You know, Michael, I have to ask you, you know, Rudy Giuliani is in the middle of the damages portion of that defamation trial. When you look at between the gag order in New York and what's going on with Rudy Giuliani's case, it must hit pretty close to home. Well, it hits very close to home in the amount of vile that gets spewed on social media as a result of Donald's uh, posts, as well as the comments by Alina Haba, Chris Kais, Cliff Robert. It doesn't just affect me, it affects my family. And personally, to tell you the truth, Laura, I would prefer not even to be involved in the upcoming Alvin Bragg case, if at all possible. Let somebody else handle it. I've already done, in my opinion, more than my share. Let somebody else now step up and have to deal with the repercussions. That says a lot. You have a subpoena, but that tells a lot about what it's like to be a witness, a testifying witness in these cases. And that's really the point of all the conversations around the gag orders and not intimidating or threatening witnesses for those very reasons. Michael Cohen, thank you for stopping by. Uh, Good to see you, Laura. Now, do you remember that $16 fast food burger that went viral a little while ago? Well, is that how the economy feels to you? Shark Tank's Kevin O'Leary is here to explain what's really going on next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Well, tonight there are some new concerns for President Biden in the race for 2024 because fresh CNN polling shows the president is losing ground to Donald Trump in two key battleground states. I'm talking about Georgia and also Michigan, which, by the way, were two of the five that Biden turned from red to blue in 2020, if you can remember. The new number shows President Biden may have quite the Achilles heel. And according to CNN polls, the majority of voters in both Michigan and Georgia say that Biden's policies have contributed to a worsening personal economic view for them. Joining me now for more perspective, Shark Tank judge and chairman of O'Leary Ventures, Kevin O'Leary. So good to have you here today. Thanks for joining me tonight. I want to talk to you because you are um, the absolute expert on this. I want to talk about feelings. What about everyone's feelings? I know you know them well, but the feelings that people have when it comes to the economy in, despite that there are some positive signs, people don't feel like it's going well. Why is that? Well, let's think about something that occurred over the last nine months, 10 months, actually. So if you think about the economy, we've never taken rates from basically zero up this fast before to five and a half percent terminal rate. And so there's a hundred million people in America, third, almost a third of the voting population that have never lived through inflation, never seen rate hikes like this, never dealt with the consequences of them in housing and food costs and everything else. And now their feelings are hurt because they don't know what this is, never lived through it. They, they're the younger cohort, but they vote. And they're not feeling so good right now. And that uh, poll, you're talking about the Wall Street Journal poll, mm -hmm. I think, which, by the way, went all around the world in the last 48 hours, had had some has some real consequences in terms of what's going to happen next. Well, next, you mean for maybe the November 2024 election or what the feds might do? What are you thinking? No, no, it's a rather interesting thing that's occurring. Think about this. If you're the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund or the, the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Abu Dhabi, which makes $500 million every 12, 14 hours, where do they put it? They put it in the United States. That's pr primarily where they put it to work. And they're looking at these poll numbers trying to decide what sectors do I, do I really want to put it into? And so and they, don't, they can't vote. They don't care about voting. They're trying to figure out are we going to get Biden's policies or potentially Trump's policies? They'll know more on January 15th when he becomes or not the, the candidate. But the point is, if it's going to be less regulation and more pro-energy and basically an environment which is very pro-business for small companies in America, which is 60% of the economy, you want to put your money to work in American companies that are you know, smaller, like the Russell 2000. And remarkably, and this is what I find so interesting, over the last two months, fund flows into small American companies in Russell 2000 are extraordinarily high. The money's betting before the voters do on the political outcome. Not because they vote, but they're looking at policy. Policy drives money, drives capital. And it has no allegiance. It doesn't care who wins. It looks for the path of least resistance 
with the highest returns. And right now, that money is loving American small businesses because they think there's a 50% chance Trump's going to win. Well, if that, what, which means a 50% chance that he might lose. How do you project something and think about the economic picture when the odds are 50-50? I mean, what do you think the economic picture looks like in 2024, November specifically? Because as you can imagine, yeah, there are the primaries, there are the votes beforehand. But until the next president is installed, not a lot of that policy can actually get fully implemented. No, you're right. But, you know, think about this. If you're trying to allocate capital, I do this every day. I have to take chances. I have to make bets. And right now I looked at those poll numbers and I that, by the way, those results, I've never seen so many phone calls from country, you know, countries outside of I'm an investor. So an in sovereign wealth advisor, et cetera. So that thing went out there and people went, wow, um, mm, what do we do about this? Why don't we put some bets on? Not all of it. Let's say you're going to allocate 40% the U.S. Maybe I'll put 15, 20% to work. And that's what's happening. Nobody knows with certainty. And elections are crazy outcomes, as we know, with certainty. But let me give you an example. You go back to the, the numbers in that poll. There were material differences around the economy, around crime, border security, inflation issues, the war, all that stuff. And it, it, it's, again, if you're, you don't care about the politics, politics mm -hmm. you care about the policy. Yeah. And so you look at it and say to yourself, well, I think right now uh, there's more or less of a 50% chance, so I'm gonna allocate something. The economy's doing quite well, actually. We look like we're having a soft landing. Mm. But if you're betting money, you're starting to re realize that, wow, this outcome, um, is at least 50-50, and you're going to put 20-30% to work now before January 15th. And I know there's these are crazy times and everything else, but if you have to put money to work every day, you're betting on the American economy like you didn't two months ago. Well, I guess you probably can't bet on, say, what's going on on, on X. I want to ask you really quickly about this because Elon Musk, you've been very vocal about what's going on with X, and he has now reinstated the account of the conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, they are already having a hard time with fleeing advertisers. We know this is the case. Um, does allowing this person back on that platform make sense to you financially? So, oh my goodness, that's a tough question. You brought up a really good issue. The only platform in America on social media that's not growing right now is X, formerly right. Twitter. Um, I, I spend about two million a month on social digital buys with my 40 plus companies. They're all private. Uh, but nine weeks ago, we stopped investing in, in Twitter and, and only because it wasn't giving us good CAC, customer acquisition cost numbers and ROAS, return on advertising spend. So those numbers were the worst of all the platforms. Maybe it's because of this. Probably it is. But we review this every Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock, and I, I, would, I would put money to work if they could fix this mess. I mean, I, I, I don't know what to say. It's not working. And mm. I don't know what Elon's doing, but it's not helping advertisers. These are very controversial issues. But I'm agnostic. I just put money to work where it returns customers. And, and Twitter right now is a, um, well, I'm... I try to be kind when I say this, but it's a cesspool. It's a cesspool right now, and I think he can fix it. And I, because I, I, look, I'm a huge fan of his. Look at what he's achieved in space, 
and EVs and everything else. But mm. this thing is a, this is a walking nightmare. Well, you heard it here. Kevin O'Leary being nice. Cesspool. Thank you so much. I told you the right person to talk to you about feelings, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight. Well, don't miss CNN's two Republican presidential town halls are happening in Iowa this very week. You got Governor Ron DeSantis making his case tomorrow at 9 p.m. East with Jake Tapper moderating. And Vivek Ramaswamy joins Abby Phillip on Wednesday at 9 p.m. That's only on CNN. Well, the Texas Supreme Court ruling against a woman who was trying to get an emergency abortion. She's now out of the state in order to get the procedure. And her attorney joins me next. Well, there's some major developments tonight in the case of a pregnant Texas woman who was fighting a legal battle to get an emergency abortion. Tonight, the Supreme Court in Texas ruling against ruling against Kate Cox, reversing a judge's order that came just last week that gave her permission to get the emergency abortion. Now, her doctor had argued that not allowing her to get the procedure would jeopardize her health and her future fertility. We're also learning that Cox now has left Texas to get an abortion. She discovered just two weeks ago that the baby she was carrying has a fatal genetic condition. Joining me now is Mark Heron, an attorney for Kate Cox and senior counsel for the Center for Reproductive Rights. Mark, thank you so much for joining. I want to ask you more about the Texas Supreme Court ruling in a, in a moment. But first, what is her status tonight and how is Kate doing? Well, Kate is, again, focused on her health, uh, which has been, uh, you know, in deteriorating condition and she needed urgent care and couldn't continue waiting for uh, Kim Paxton to stop uh, trying to exercise medicine, trying to practice medicine instead of her doctors, couldn't continue waiting on the Texas Supreme Court to issue its decision, which it finally issued tonight. And so she had to go to seek care out of state, and it's understandable. But unfortunately, although she had the ability to do so, fortunately for her, many, many women all across Texas and in other states where abortions are banned are trapped in their states, even when they need medically necessary abortions to save their health, to save their lives and preserve their health. Does she want to state which state that she went to? Are you comfortable sharing that? Uh, we're not going to say that this time. I understand. Well, listen, part of what the Supreme Court had to say, this is the Texas Supreme Court ruling. I want to read a portion of it to everyone to get an idea of what was said. The exception requires a doctor to decide whether Ms. Cox's difficulties pose such risks. Dr. Carson asked a court to pre-authorize the abortion, yet she could not, or at least did not, attest to the court that Ms. Cox's condition poses the risks the exception requires. We're talking obviously about the language in the statute in Texas that suggests that they must have an emergency abortion or a medical emergency in order to have one. What do you make of that Supreme Court statement from Texas? Right. So the Texas Supreme Court um, made clear a few things in this ruling. One is that apparently in order to meet the exception, uh, the condition has to be a life-threatening physical condition. The exception goes on to say, however, that um, that you could that, that the the exception applies to um, impairments of major bodily functions, right? And we've argued that um, preserving Kay Cox's fertility 
and her ability to have kids again in the future, that's clearly a, a major life function and should clearly fall within the exception. But the way the Texas Supreme Court appears to be reading this is it only applies to life-threatening physical conditions. So this whole uh, other part of the exception, I don't know what it means anymore. The other thing that that I think um, is really made clear from this decision is, you know, even if a doctor believes, strongly believes that their patient fits within the exception, politicians, district attorneys, the state of Texas can come back and second guess their judgment. And even if you go to court and get approval from a court, um, Ken Paxton is going to come after you anyway. He's going to threaten the hospitals because he apparently knows how to practice medicine better than doctors mm. across the state of Texas. This case is unbelievable to think about. And I will just mo mention the court is calling on the state medical board to provide more guidance on that terminology of the medical emergency exception at the very heart of this case. Mark Heron, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. As you know, Harvard's president is under fire after backlash over last week's comments at a congressional hearing on anti-Semitism. But many are defending her, including my next guest, Harvard professor Randall Kennedy joins me in just a moment. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. The fate of Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, is hanging in the balance with a decision on her future potentially coming as soon as tomorrow. And why? All because of testimony to Congress last week that led to the resignation of the University of Pennsylvania, President Liz McGill. Now, to remind everyone, testimony was widely criticized for failing to effectively denounce calls for the genocide of Jewish people as relates to university policies against bullying and harassment. Let's listen. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? It is a context-dependent decision. It can be, depending on the context. If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Now, following all of that, more than 70 members of Congress called on Gay to resign. The next day, she apologized. And today, parts of the Harvard community are coalescing around her. 800-plus signatures in support of Gay from Black alumni, the Harvard Alumni Association Executive Committee, and more than 700 signatures from Harvard faculty. And one of those who signed that letter, Harvard University Law Professor Randall Kennedy, who joins me now. Um, professor, thank you for being here this evening. I do want to read a part of this letter for everyone to understand as well. In it, you say, we, the undersigned faculty, urge you in the strongest possible terms to defend the independence of the university and to resist political pressures that are at odds with Harvard's commitment to academic freedom, including calls for the removal of President Claudine Gay. It's clear that you call for academic freedom. Um, I'm wondering, do you agree with the criticism that she received or what she had to say? No, I don't agree. 
I think that uh, President uh, Gay is being, is, is being targeted. She's the obvious target of a smear. The politicians who called her and the other presidents to the House of Representatives had made it clear that they had already determined that there was an anti-Semitism problem at these universities. They weren't exploring this. They had already determined in their own minds that there was a problem and that they were going to rake these presidents over the coals and try to embarrass and intimidate them. And unfortunately, they have been all too successful thus far. There was nothing that President Gay said that was objectionable. She said over and over and over again that the, uh, that the sentiments that the Congresswoman uh, expressed in terms of attacks on Israel and anti-Semitism, the president said over and over again that she finds those sentiments abhorrent. She also said, however, that Harvard University is committed to the broadest uh, type of freedom of expression and that unless that expression uh, devolved into direct attacks on individuals or devolved into violence, uh, it was permissible. And I think that she took just the right tack in saying that. There are those who do not agree at all with that particular assessment. But let me mm -hmm. ask you, you, we've all heard this phrase of your rights end when my begin. We've also heard about a college campus being the marketplace of ideas and having people and young minds shaped to have opinions across the spectrum. There is a tension, though, Professor, between the a university's responsibility to have people and make them feel safe and the expression of terms or expression of thoughts that might undermine those feelings of safety. Are you seeing that play out in real time, not in the intellectual sense, but in terms of how a university is supposed to contend with both? Um, I think uh, obviously there is there are various tensions. I would ask people to think long and hard about the function of the university. Imagine a student coming to Harvard with a button saying, I believe in communism. The history of communism over the 20th century is a terrible history, many millions of deaths. If a student came to Harvard University with a button saying, I love communism, should that student be expelled? I don't think so. Although I abhor communism. Uh, just like there are students, and for that matter, faculty members, who utter all sorts of abhorrent ideas. Uh, a few years ago, there was a student at the Harvard University uh, who put a Confederate flag in her window. There were some people who said, oh, this student should be disciplined. The Harvard University authorities said, no, we object to the, you know, the, the ideas being expressed, but this student is within the policy of Harvard University. When you talk about that, it describes are, in many respects. Go, what, go what about what about what about uh, uh, professors who have written books that are sensibly viewed as racist books? Are we going to expel those people, or, or are we going to have a university community that is uh, committed to open expression and debate? even when that involves the uh, contesting horrible ideas. 
What you describe sounds a great deal like um, what they appeared to be intimating when they talked about context and the idea of responding with the word context consistently on these, in these issues. But there is perhaps a distinction for many between thinking about um, a Confederate flag, communism, and the term genocide, which people will associate with a, with a immediate straight line, through line, to death. Now, I understand, obviously, the Confederacy and what it led to, the idea of communism, and obviously what you talk about and what it's led to as well. But is it that more immediate through line that caused this distinction and caused this response that has been so visceral to try to remove her? Frankly, no. Uh, the people who uh, had the uh, President Gay and the other presidents uh, hauled before Congress uh, knew what they wanted to do. They wanted to embarrass them. They wanted to intimidate them. They wanted to say to them, yes, no, answer yes or no. Uh, they wanted to make it seem as though a nuanced, careful answer was somehow a weakness, was somehow being tone deaf. It was not tone deaf. These presidents were acting uh, responsibly and were acting intelligently and were taking seriously, maybe too seriously, what the Congresswoman was saying. This was a hit job and it should be understood as a hit job. Quickly, do you know, have you spoken to the president, um, Gay, is she intending to step down? Are there calls for her to do so that might actually no, lead to her leaving? No, I have not spoken with President Gay and do not know what the authorities are thinking about or saying. Well, we should soon find out. Thank you for joining us and offering your insight. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, we're going to be right back. At the top of the show, we talked about former President Donald Trump's many, many legal troubles. Well, now there's another elected official, I say it should say a former elected official, with his own troubles with the law. Yes, he's back. The lying ex-Congressman George Santos, whose last words on being kicked out of the job, he lied his way into in the first place, where, why would I want to stay here? To hell with this place! Well, he's now in talks with federal prosecutors in the hopes of striking a plea deal, according to a court document released just today. He has pleaded not guilty to a long list of charges, including wire fraud, money laundering, theft of public funds, and making materially false statements to the U.S. House. No word from the Barack uh, Baruch college volleyball team on its most illustrious, well, not really, member. Thank you all for watching. Our coverage continues. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. 
Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.